Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. We do pray that you come and reign within us. For we know that all those that are called and are chosen and those who have repented and come to you and called upon your name are your children. And we pray that you just continue to come and reign in our lives, Lord, as we work in our sanctification, as we battle sin. Father, that we would just come and submit to you. And we just thank you for this opportunity to do so in a corporate way as a body of believers coming together from all different walks and, and areas of life that we can say that Jesus is Lord. Amen. And Father, I pray that you just be with us this morning, that we may glorify you in all that we do. Join with us in a mighty way and give us an anticipation and expectation as Dustin brings us the word, Lord, that you would just come and we would respond to what your truth is, that you would speak to us in a mighty way. We pray this in the name of your son who gave his life for us, Lord, that we may be reconciled back to you. And God's people said, amen. Good morning. Well, today is uh, Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, and uh, this week as I was preparing for the message, I read this prayer that was written by a, uh, a pastor from the East Coast, and I thought it was just so powerful and moving that I couldn't improve on it. So today for pastor's prayer, would you pray with me um, silently um, as I pray out loud? Most loving Lord Jesus, your loud voice and tear-wiping hand together give us the courage and compassion we need to live as faithful advocates for human life in all its expressions. How we long for the day when death shall be no more, when life will flourish in the new heaven and new earth. Today we especially think about the lives of unborn children and the constant threat to those lives. Even as we cry out to you on behalf of all kinds of women in all kinds of situations who are carrying those children in their wombs. All of your promises are trustworthy and true, so we will neither despair nor retreat in the face of unconscionable evil and overwhelming need. Jesus, give us gospel courage to contend against the dark oxymoron called legal abortion. Those two words simply do not belong together because you are making all things new. We will continue to fight the good fight of faith for children who are still being knit together in their mother's womb. There is a day coming, Lord, when abortion will be no more. In light of that day, give us wisdom, give us strength, Give us fire, give us perseverance, give us sufficient grace that we need to be an advocate for unborn children in this day, in our communities and among the nations of the world. We also cry out for gospel compassion. Jesus, show us how to love and care for women and men whose stories are marked by abortion, either as victims or agents. Only the gospel is sufficient for the guilt. Only the gospel can bring healing. Only the gospel can transform an agent of wrong into a warrior for justice and mercy. Jesus, we don't just long for the day of no more abortions. We also long for the day of no more miscarriages. Sin and death have violated every domain of shalom, including the realm of birthing. Our hearts break for those families who would love a child to your glory, but must endure the pain of giving up their children before birth. Show us how to love and serve them well. Extend your tear-wiping hand through us. How long, Jesus, before the last abortion and the last miscarriage? How long, O oh Lord, 
Until that day, we also ask for courage and compassion to adopt the millions of orphaned children who have safely made it into this world. May our zeal against abortion be matched by a zeal for walking with women in crisis pregnancies and zeal for adopting the millions of orphans in the world. Surely there is room in our hearts and homes for these precious image bearers of yours. Surely the gospel is big enough for this calling too. And so we pray in your most holy and loving name. Amen. Well, before we begin this morning, uh, I'd just like to make a couple of remarks. So, today is Sanctity of Human Life Sunday across the nation. And just a great resource for dealing with these questions is a book by a guy named Randy Alcorn. It's called Pro-Life Answers to Pro-Choice Questions. Because this morning, we're really going to be tackling it from a biblical theological perspective, there's going to be a lot of questions that go unanswered. Abortion is a huge topic. There's so many things that could be said. And really, as I was preparing this sermon, I was just realizing how much I can't say, just because we just don't have the time. This is not exactly maybe the setting to deal with some of the scientific issues and things like that. Um, I'm more than open to talk about them, if you'd like, anytime. But that's a great book, Pro-Life Answers to Pro-Choice Questions by Randy Alcorn. Secondly, uh, I know that this can be a very sensitive subject for a lot of people. Abortion has touched many people's lives in many different ways. And so I just want to acknowledge that I'm aware of that. And that as we go through the sermon, I just pray that it glorifies God and magnifies Jesus Christ in every way possible. Sanctity of Human Life Sunday was started by Ronald Reagan, I think in 1984, as a special Sunday every year that we as Christians pause and give ourselves a reality check. We pause and remind ourselves and everyone else that every human life is sacred. We stop and remind ourselves that Not everyone believes this. We pause and remind ourselves that abortion is legal and prevalent in our culture. We pause and protest the legal decision, Roe v. Wade, that legalized abortion. We pause and mourn the growing number of babies, over 53 million currently, who have been killed in the womb. Over 53 million dead, murdered in our nation alone. God help us. Just pause and think about that for a second. Stop and think about the fact that we need a specific day set aside to tell other humans that every human life has intrinsic worth. We need a day to try and remind people, to try and convince people to stop killing fellow humans, stop killing babies. What dark times we live in. But even though we do live in these dark times, the Bible says we have seen a great light. And his name is Jesus Christ. And we have God's very words to us to guide us. So what I want to do this morning is take you step by step through some different passages. We're going to move through a series of truths in scripture that will take us on a journey to one overarching idea. One main theme. And that theme is this. Abortion is a horrific sin and Jesus is a powerful and willing Savior. Let me repeat that. Abortion is a horrific sin, and Jesus is a powerful and willing Savior. That's the only thing we're going to look at this morning. Abortion is horrific, terrible, heinous evil, and yet Jesus is a gracious, powerful, and willing Savior. We'll travel through the darkness that is abortion and then end in the light that is Jesus Christ. I want to show you why we as Christians believe this, that abortion is so horrific. 
And I pray that I'll be able to do that this morning. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray this morning that you would give me grace. Fill me with your spirit as we deal with this sensitive topic. Lord, my desire is to view this as you view this. Lord, I pray that you would grant us that this morning. Help us to see through your eyes as we discuss this topic, Lord. Father, I pray that you would be with me this morning. I pray that you would be with the congregation this morning. Open ears, open eyes, open hearts, Lord. Pour out your grace and love on us this morning. Grant that we may engage in contemplating the mysteries of your heavenly wisdom with really increasing devotion to your glory and for our edification. Amen. Well, the first thing I want you to see this morning is this. God creates everything that comes into existence. This is illustrated in a lot of different verses, but the first one we're going to look at is Psalm 145, 5 and 6. It says this, Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever. These verses break down into three categories what God has made. Heaven, earth, and the sea. So God has made heaven. The Hebrew word that's translated there is heaven literally means kind of like all that's up there. When we think of heaven, sometimes we think of like clouds and angels. That's not the idea in in the Hebrew mindset of heaven. It's literally everything that's not on the earth. Everything that's out there. Uh, The heavens, the space, the sky. This includes everything that exists out in space. Anything that exists out there, this verse is telling us, was created by God. Walk outside tonight, and as you look up at the night sky, if there's not too many lights around you, I know we live in Southern California here, you'll be able to see a whole bunch of little dots, stars and planets and galaxies and all sorts of things like that. Amazing supernovas and very strange things that we haven't even explored yet. But none of these things came into existence on their own. Every single one of the stars and planets and all the other stuff out there was and is being created by God. God created all these things and still creates all these things. No star comes into existence unless he actively creates it. And we know this. The Bible tells us that God names every star and knows all their names. God didn't just create past tense but he is still creating. We see also that God created the earth. Everything that has ever existed on this planet came into existence because God actively created it. Every rock, every mountain, every lake, and every ocean exists because God put it there. Nothing is an accident. Nothing comes into existence only because of some mechanical, naturalistic process. God created and still creates everything. Every tree, every shrub, every flower, God has created them all. This is the picture that the Bible gives to us. But the earth contains more than just rocks and plants, right? God has created everything that has ever walked or flown over this earth. Every cat, every dog, every bee, every elephant, every insect, yes, even spiders, exists because God created it. Because God is still creating, still giving life. And it's the same for the sea. Every fish, every shark, every squid, every whale, every little phytoplankton is the product of God's creation. Not just in the past, but now. God is an artist. 
He created everything in the beginning. He creates everything now. This is the picture of God that we get in these verses. And again, we could turn to many other places, but we just don't have time this morning. But the question is, how does all this apply to us humans then specifically? Are we just the products of randomness? Is life and existence, as one pro-choice writer put it, just a crapshoot? No. When we turn to the scriptures, we see that every human being that has ever had life owes their existence directly to God. Listen to how the Apostle Paul describes this in his sermon on Mars Hill in Acts 17, 24-25. He's describing to the Greek philosophers God. He says, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives, present tense, gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. What does this mean? This means that every human, humans of all colors, genders, languages, ethnicities, are all created by God. Every single one. Every man, woman, or child that you will ever see or meet exists because God gave them life. Every single one. Nobody is simply a product of nature or chance or coincidence or accident. As the text says, God himself gives life and breath to all mankind. Every human being who walks this earth does so because of the direct action of God. God has created and still creates all things in the heavens, in the earth, and in the sea. He gives life to each and every human being who exists. He is the all-creating one, God Almighty, the one and only giver of life. We're slowly building up our biblical case against abortion. And to be honest, we could probably stop here. I mean, if God is the life giver and the creator, then what right do we have as humans to deprive anyone of life? That may be a good question, but I believe we can dig even deeper into that. Does the Bible say anything specific about God and his interactions with humans in the womb? Does the Bible talk about God's interactions with fertility and pregnancy and infertility? It does. And so we come to our second point. First point was that God creates everything. The second point is that Scripture clearly describes what goes on in the womb as God's work. God conceives babies in the womb, and God prevents babies from being conceived in the womb. If any woman gets pregnant, it is because God caused the baby to be conceived. The Bible tells us that God is sovereign over the womb. To see this, I want to glance briefly at a few texts because I really want you to see how our holy scriptures talk about God and pregnancy. This is so important to this discussion. We have to grasp this truth if we're going to understand why abortion is such a horror. So let's look. The first place we're going to look is Genesis 16.2. It'll be on the screen. These are just short verses. In Genesis 16.2, we're in the middle of the story of Abraham and Sarai, or Abram and Sarai, or Abraham and Sarah. And Sarai says, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Remember, her and Abram were told by God that they would have a son, even though they were both well over the childbearing age. How is this possible? Well, God says, because I will give this to you. Yet even in this situation, when Sarai cannot get pregnant, 
Even knowing that it's the promise of God, she says it's because God has not granted it to her yet. God has prevented her from bearing children. What is implied then in this verse is that pregnancy comes from God. We see the same thing in 1 Samuel chapter 1 when we hear the story of Hannah. Hannah was a faithful woman who could not bear children. The text tells us in 1 Samuel 1 verse 5 that it was because, quote, the Lord had closed her womb. She couldn't conceive because it was not the will of God at that time. God had not granted it to her yet. But sure enough, Hannah prayed that she would conceive and the Lord heard her prayer and gave her a child. Again, what is clearly implied is that pregnancy and conception come from God. We see the same thing in Ruth chapter 4, verse 13, where it says, So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Once again, we see that the Lord gives conception. The Lord gives life. The Lord gives new life. God grants conception or withholds it as he chooses. Pregnancy, children, conception come from God. In fact, in the Psalms, Psalm 127 verse 3 goes so far as to say that children are a gift from God, a blessing. It says this in verse 3, it says, Behold, children are a heritage or a gift from the Lord. The fruit of the womb, a reward. So this verse tells us clearly that children are a reward, a blessing, a gift that God gives. Now this may be hard to grasp sometimes for us, I think, because as we all know, not every pregnancy is planned by us or wanted. Um, Not every child is wanted, sadly. But it's clear in this verse that children are a gift from the Lord. And just in case there's any doubt on this point, David goes further in the Psalms to describe God's active work in creating him in his mother's womb. In Psalm 139, verse 13, listen to how David describes it. He says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. What a beautiful picture. God knitted him together in his mother's womb. You can almost picture someone sitting there and knitting. And Sarah knits, so you can sit and watch her. And she's making a blanket or something. You know, it starts out with just a single strand. And as she's just going, it almost looks like, I don't even know how you do that. But as you go, the blanket just kind of grows and gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And David's saying, you knitted me together. Knitting is, you're doing it. You're working. You're taking the string and you're making it happen. David's saying, God, this is how you made me in my mother's womb. You personally knitted me together. He created him in an intimate, delicate process. We see from this that God is active in the womb. God is in control of the womb. God creates in the womb. The stuff that goes on in the womb is God's work. So let's pause and let that sink in for a moment. If children are a gift from God, and God is the one at work in the womb, then abortion is directly opposing the gift and work of God. If children are a gift from God, that doesn't mean it's easy, that doesn't mean it's always wanted, but abortion then is rejecting God's gift, saying, you don't know what's best. I reject that gift. In fact, I'll destroy that gift. 
It's directly opposing the work of God. Abortion cuts in half and stops God's work in its place. The person who decides to have an abortion takes God's gift and destroys it. Abortion takes a baby in the womb, a precious creation of God, his knitting, and ends it. By the very fact that this baby is growing in the womb, God is saying, I want this person to exist. And yet, a human comes along and says, yeah, well, I don't. The pride, the rebellion, the defiance in such an attitude is astounding. It's horrifying. Now, please hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that anyone who has an abortion actively thinks like this and makes their decision based on these principles. Many women have been lied to and have been deceived as to what abortion entails. They have been told that it's just a clump of cells. This is precisely why so many women who view an ultrasound of their baby do not go through with an abortion. And let me just make a side note, a little plug for a ministry. Um, There's a ministry called Save the Storks. And what it is is a ministry where they buy these vans, these big vans, and they equip them and make them really nice inside. There's like a couch inside and everything. And they have an ultrasound machine in the van. And they just go park outside an abortion clinic. And they just offer free ultrasounds to any woman who wants to see their baby. And they have incredibly high percentages of women who are literally that day going in to get an abortion, who stop in, see the ultrasound, and say, no, I can't do this. Either I'm going to give my baby up for adoption, or I'm going to keep the baby. It's an amazing ministry. It's called Save the Storks. Check it out. But this is why. It's because when we see the picture of the baby, we can see that it's a creation of God. Abortion rates in the last five years have actually been falling. And most people believe it's because science has becoming clearer and clearer and clearer. That is a human in there. And I don't know if you've seen pictures of aborted babies. There's bones, there's fingers, there's all these things. We can't deny it any longer. And so we need to realize that, though, that many women have been lied to. And I'm aware of some of the things that go into a decision like this, but we also need to see the reality of the situation, the reality of our rebellion against God when we make a decision like this. Abortion, like all sin, is opposing God. And hear that. All sin is opposing God. Abortion isn't the only sin that is opposing God. So God creates all things. God is at work in the womb. But what's the big deal? I mean, didn't God create trees? Wouldn't that mean cutting down a tree is opposing God? Or what about animals? Wouldn't that mean slaughtering an animal is opposing God? Well, what we see when we look at the scriptures is that human beings are unique. Human beings are special. And this is my third point this morning, that human beings are unique. And God tells us this in his word, that human beings are unique for this reason. As human beings, we alone in all of creation have been created in the image and likeness of God. We have been created in the image and likeness of God. We bear his mark uniquely out of all creation. To show this, uh, you can look at Genesis 1.27. It says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. This is clear and explicit. We are created in the image of God. We bear the likeness of God. In some way, we represent God here on earth. Now, to further understand what this means, I want to look at James 3.9. In James 3.9, James is in the middle of a long diatribe, we went through it recently, about how deadly speech can be. 
how deadly the tongue can be. He writes about how gossip can tear apart churches, slander can destroy people. And in the middle of this discussion, he gives a reason, one singular reason why all of this is so evil. Remember, we're talking about just speaking badly about someone else. So take a look at James 3.9. He says this, With it, the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. These people that we curse, says James, were made by God and in the likeness of God. How dare you curse them? Now think about this for a second. If James is telling us that we offend God by cursing anyone, by talking badly about them, by gossiping, by slandering, how much more do we offend God by invading the womb and violently ending the life of one of his image bearers? Let me say that again. If James is telling us that we offend God by cursing someone, that we sin against God by cursing someone because they bear his image, how much more do we offend God, do we sin against God by invading the womb and ending the life of one of his image bearers? When we kill a child in the womb, we have killed one of God's representatives. We have killed one of his unique, specially created, image-bearing beings, one who bears his very likeness. What this also means is that Every human being bears the image and likeness of God. Not just unborn babies, everyone, every one of you, me, everyone in the entire world. That means that we need to care for every human being in the entire world. That means that we need to care for the mother. The baby in the womb is made in the image of God and so is the mother considering abortion. So is the mother who's had an abortion. If we pour hatred on her, we are no better. We must show love to the baby in the womb and the uncertain mother. We must do everything we can to make sure that she has all the information and help necessary to survive and live with her new baby. It does no good to cry out against abortion without giving any tangible support to the women who are struggling. So I urge you this morning, if you stand with me against abortion, put your money, put your time where your mouth is. Support Living Well Pregnancy Center. It's literally across the street and others like it who seek to provide care for the mothers and their babies. This is so important. And so we've seen, we've seen that God creates all things, that God is at work in the womb, and that human beings are uniquely created in the image and likeness of God. Well, what conclusion must we draw from this? The necessary conclusion that must be drawn is that abortion destroys the work and image of God and is a horrific sin. This is where we must stand as Christians. We must recognize this reality. It is the only position for a consistent Christian. It is the only position for a Christian who holds to the Bible as God's word. It is the only position that the church has had throughout thousands of centuries because of this very reason. One of the earliest things we have outside of the New Testament is something called the Didache, or the teaching of the Twelve Apostles. Some scholars believe it was actually written during the same period of time as the, as the New, uh, New Testament. It's a collection of different teachings. It's really interesting. It's really cool. It mostly just echoes what's in the New Testament. But there's a section that gives a bunch of commands. Like, it basically sounds like Old Testament law. Here's how to live. And one of them is very clear. It says simply, now remember, this is written around the same time as the New Testament. You shall not murder a child by abortion, nor kill that which is born clearly shows throughout the centuries, Christians have always been against abortion. Always. 
since the very beginning for the very reasons that I have just laid out this morning. And so, friends, I would urge you that we cannot be faithful to God or the Scriptures if we are not willing to be an advocate for this cause. If we're not willing to oppose the systematic elimination of our children. Let me ask you, do you think you can faithfully fulfill the numerous commands throughout the Old and New Testaments to stand up for the oppressed, the afflicted, the voiceless, and the helpless if you're not willing to stand against abortion? Who is more oppressed or more voiceless than a helpless child in the womb? We saw in our scripture reading this morning in Psalm 9 that God hears the cries of the helpless and the oppressed. God hears the cries of the voiceless. Let me tell you, God hears the cries and hears the cries of the blood of all the unborn children that have been killed. Back in Genesis, when Cain kills Abel, remember, God comes looking for Cain and he says, Cain, what did you do? I can hear the blood of Abel crying to me from the ground. If God can hear the cries of the blood of one man, I can't imagine what the blood of 53 million murdered babies sounds like. God hears their cry, and we serve a just God. And if this cry moves God, then it must move us as well, for we are his agents here on earth. And so I ask you, can we be faithful to the commands to stand for the oppressed and the afflicted and the voiceless if we're not willing to fight against abortion? I would say we can't. Also, do you think we can be faithful to the second greatest commandment? That is what Jesus said, to love your neighbor as yourself while supporting abortion. Let me say this, that baby in the womb is just as much your neighbor, my neighbor, as the woman who is pregnant. Loving your neighbor is not consistent with giving people the legal choice to kill them. Those do not go together. Loving your neighbor is making sure that they can make it out of the womb And that their mom has what she needs to support them. It's loving both the mother and the child. So often in the things that go on between pro-life and pro-choice, people try to frame it as if pro-life people are for the baby and pro-choice people are for the mom. And unfortunately, sometimes that is how it comes down. But we must reject that false dichotomy. We need to stand for both groups of oppressed people, both groups who are crying out in pain, both groups who are afflicted. And that is where we must stand as Christians equally loving the mother considering abortion, and equally loving the unborn child. And friends, we can't ultimately be faithful to the scriptures and support abortion. We cannot be faithful to the scriptures and support the pro-choice agenda. To do that would be to forsake the commands to love and to stand up for the voiceless. And at the same time, we cannot be faithful to the scriptures if we are not willing to stand up and support the struggling mothers as well. We must do both. We must. Christian love demands it of us. Let us do it willingly. And so we've seen that abortion is a horrific, terrible, evil, God-defying sin. There's no denying it. Anyone who has had an abortion or who still supports abortion stands guilty before God. But friends, let me tell you something. Without the blood of Jesus Christ, every single one of us stands guilty before God. Every single one of us. Every single one. We have all rebelled against God's authority in countless ways. We have all defied God's authority in countless ways. We have all opposed God's work in countless ways. Before Jesus came and redeemed us, the Bible says that we were enemies of God. 
enemies of God. Every single one of us. And this brings us to our last point this morning. You'll remember our statement that we were looking at this morning is abortion is a horrific sin and Jesus is a powerful and willing Savior. See, the blood of Jesus Christ is enough for those who have supported abortion. It's enough for those who have had an abortion and for those who have performed abortions. I want to show you this through two texts, 1 John 1.9 and 1 Peter 2.24. 1 John 1.9 says this, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And 1 Peter gives us the reason why. He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds you have been healed. Just in case the tree thing confuses you, it's just talking about the cross. And so I want you to hear that this morning. If you have had an abortion and you are trusting in Jesus, he forgives you. Jesus forgives you. The blood of Jesus, the Son of God, is enough to cover every single one of your sins, including abortions. Including even performing abortions. God forgives the sin of abortion. God forgives the sin of abortion. Hear that this morning. It is included in both of these statements. If we confess our sins, it doesn't say if we confess certain sins, he's faithful to just forgive us. Only certain sins. Other ones, if we confess them, well, we're not going to be forgiven of those. No. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All unrighteousness. In the same way, 1 Peter, it says, he himself bore our sins. It doesn't say he bore some of our sins, but others, well, you need to feel guilty about those. No, it says he bore our sins in his body on the tree. So if you have confessed and put your faith in Christ, you are perfect in his sight. Perfect, righteous, and holy. And he loves you so much. I don't care if you've had 20 abortions or if you've performed 100 of them. If your trust is in Jesus Christ, In his sacrifice, you are forgiven fully and completely. Hear me this morning. You are forgiven fully and completely if your trust is in Jesus Christ. As I was preparing this, it reminded me of Kermit Gosnell, the abortion doctor. I mean, just a house of horrors, they called it. I can't even begin to describe the things they found in his lab. I mean, just baby bodies and parts in jars and just the stories you hear coming out of that place were horrific. But this is the scandal of the gospel. If that man repents and puts his grace, his faith in Jesus Christ, Jesus will wipe away his sin. Forgive his sin. No questions asked. If his faith was truly put in Christ, before he dies, he will be forgiven. And and some of us might think, well, that's not fair. But let me tell you, that's good news for us. Because we all stand guilty before God without Jesus. We all need his forgiveness. And that is the scandal of the gospel. That grace is radical and that grace comes to us simply by faith in Jesus Christ. Simply by faith. No matter what we've done. That's the good news. It's extended to all of us. This good news is extended to every single one of us. The truth is that we all stand so guilty before God, but he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to us and Jesus lived a perfect life in our place and went to that cross 
in our place, and on that cross took place one of the most radical and beautiful exchanges ever known to man. This is what this text in 1 Peter is talking about. You see, when Jesus was on the cross, God placed all of our sins, and he himself bore our sins, onto Jesus. It says he bore our sins in his body. All of the sins that we would commit, all of the sins that we might commit, placed onto Jesus in his body. All of the sin of abortion, the sin of 53 million murdered babies placed on Jesus. Think about that. As Jesus was hanging there on the cross, he might as well have been wearing a sign around his neck that said, abortionist, baby killer. He bore the sin. He bore that sin. And why stop there? He could have had a sign on him that said, liar, adulterer, coveter, slanderer, pornographer, whatever the sin is. He bore those sins. God himself in human flesh, perfect and righteous, bore our sins. Simply to show us that he loves us and that we might have the chance to come into relationship with him, that he would purchase his people with the blood of his own son. That's the scandal of the gospel. And it's beautiful that if we put our faith in Jesus, our trust in Jesus, our sins are wiped away. All of the weight of our sin was borne by Jesus in his body. Second Corinthians says he became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. And to all who will cast themselves upon him will receive mercy. To all who trust in his sacrifice, to all who repent and believe in him, he gives perfect righteousness, perfect holiness. And as the scriptures say, he removes all of our sin as far as the east is from the west. That is a beautiful gospel. That is good news. And so I say again, If you've had an abortion and you're here this morning, or you've had abortions, if your trust is truly in Jesus Christ and his sacrifice, you bear no guilt in the eyes of Almighty God. His Son bore that guilt for you. You are perfect and holy in his sight, and he loves you infinitely. You will hear no condemnation on the last day or judgment from anyone. And you will bear no condemnation or judgment from anyone here. And again, friends, this applies to all of us. If you truly trust in Jesus Christ this morning, you are perfect and holy in his sight. And he loves you infinitely, no matter what other people say and no matter what you have done. Would you be grateful this morning? Would you worship with me and praise him this morning? And lastly, to anyone here who is not trusting in Jesus, who doesn't know Jesus, maybe this is the first time you've heard this, Friend, because I love you, I will tell you this. You are guilty in the eyes of Almighty God. Romans says the wrath of God remains on you. He is against you. But it doesn't have to be this way. Salvation is a free gift. And I hold it out to you this morning. If you would place your trust, place your faith in Jesus this morning and his finished work on the cross, he will wipe out all of your guilt, all of your sin, and in exchange, give you all of his righteousness, all of his goodness. Would you trust him this morning? You entered here this morning bearing the weight of all your sin. Don't leave here the same way. And so, friends, I want to close with a passage of Scripture. Because the truth is, we will not always have sanctity of human life Sunday. 
One day, there will be no need because there will be no more abortions, no more death, and no more pain. So hear the words of the Apostle John from the book of Revelation, chapter 21, verses 3 through 5 this morning. Speaking of the end of all things. And he says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Amen. Come quickly, Lord. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, you are so good to us, Lord. You gave your Son for us while we were enemies of you. Lord, I pray that you would just just expand our view of grace, expand our knowledge of your grace, expand our experience of your grace this morning. Lord, teach us something new about your grace. It's so infinite that we can't possibly comprehend all of it, Lord, but, but we just pray for, for a little better understanding this morning. Lord, I pray for all those here who have had abortions, who have struggled with this issue, who are struggling with this issue, Lord, pour out your grace and love on them this morning. Lord, I pray for everyone here that they would understand the gospel, that their eyes would be open to see how radical and beautiful your love is, Lord. How marvelous your grace is, how abundant your mercy is, Lord. Father, would you just enable us, empower us to worship you this morning, to be grateful this morning. And Father, I pray for anyone here who may not know you. God, I pray, would you open their eyes to see your beauty? Would you open their eyes to see your goodness, to see your love, to see your holiness, to see your justice, and to see your mercy? Or would you just pour out your spirit on them? And Father, we ask for that on all of us. Would you just pour out your spirit this morning? Just fill us and empower us this week to be in thought, to be in prayer about these things, Lord. Lord, we know that we are your agents here on earth to enact your will. God, work through us. Work through us in the legal things, in the, in the day-to-day things, Lord. Empower us. Empower us to, to teach people. Empower us to love people, Lord. Empower us to adopt. Empower us to give money. Empower us to love on mothers who are struggling with this, Lord. Let us not just be a clanging gong and, and a clashing cymbal, Lord. But let us live and act in love. Let us be such a faithful, shining light and testament to your goodness and love. Father, we can't do this without your strength, without your power. So we ask you this morning for that. Lord, I pray that you would be with us, continue to be with us this morning and this week. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith@orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes 
And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.